Section 7 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 4. Treating of a Novel Style of Burglar, Part 1. I've spoken of my pistol. During the early part of our residence at Rudder Grange, I never thought of such a thing as owning a pistol. But it was different now. I kept a Colt's revolver loaded in the bureau drawer in our bedroom. The cause of this change was burglars. Not that any of these unpleasant persons had visited us, but we much feared they would. Several houses in the vicinity had been entered during the past month, and we could never tell when our turn would come. To be sure, our boarder suggested that if we were to anchor out a little further at night, no burglar would risk catching his death of cold by swimming out to us, but Euphemia, having replied that it would be rather difficult to move a canal-boat every night without paddle-wheels or sails or mules, especially if it were aground, this plan was considered to be effectually disposed of. So we made up our minds that we must fasten up everything very securely, and I bought a pistol and two burglar alarms. One of these I affixed to the most exposed window, and the other to the door which opened on the deck. These alarms were very simple affairs, but they were good enough. When they were properly attached to a window or door, and it was opened, a little gong sounded like a violently deranged clock, striking all the hours of the day at once. The window did not trouble us much, but it was rather irksome to have to make the attachment to the door every night, and to take it off every morning. However, as Euphemia said, it was better to take a little trouble than to have the house full of burglars, which was true enough. We made all the necessary arrangements in case burglars should make an inroad upon us. At the first sound of the alarm, Euphemia and the girl were to lie flat on the floor, or get under their beds. Then the boarder and I were to stand up, back to back, each with pistol in hand, and fire away, revolving in a common center the while. In this way, by aiming horizontally at about four feet from the floor, we could rake the premises, and run no risk of shooting each other or the women of the family. To be sure, there were some slight objections to this plan. The boarder's room was at some distance from ours, and he would probably not hear the alarm, and the burglars might not be willing to wait while I went forward and roused him up, and brought him to our part of the house. But this was a minor difficulty. I had no doubt but that, if it should be necessary, I could manage to get our boarder into position in plenty of time. It was not very long before there was an opportunity of testing the plan. About twelve o'clock one night one of the alarms, that on the kitchen window, went off with a whirr and a wild succession of clangs. For a moment I thought the morning train had arrived, and then I woke up. Euphemia was already under the bed. I hurried on a few clothes, and then I tried to find the bureau in the dark. This was not easy, as I lost my bearings entirely. But I found it at last, got the top drawer open, and took out my pistol. Then I slipped out of the room, hurried up the stairs, opened the door, setting off the alarm there, by the way, and ran along the deck. There was a cold night wind, and hastily descended the steep steps that led into the boarder's room. The door that was at the bottom of the steps was not fastened, and as I opened it a little stray moonlight illuminated the room. I hastily stepped to the bed and shook the boarder by the shoulder. He kept his pistol under the pillow. In an instant he was on his feet. His hand grasped my throat, and the cold muzzle of his derringer pistol was at my forehead. It was an awfully big muzzle, like the mouth of a bottle. 
I don't know when I lived so long as during the first minute that he held me thus. Rascal, he said, do so much as breathe and I'll pull the trigger. I didn't breathe. I had an accident insurance on my life. Would it hold good in a case like this? Or would Euphemia have to go back to her father? He pushed me back into the little patch of moonlight. Oh, is it you? he said, relaxing his grasp. What do you want? A mustard plaster? He had a package of patent plasters in his room. You took one and dipped it in hot water, and it was all ready. No, said I, gasping a little. Burglars. Oh, he said, and he put down his pistol and put on his clothes. Come along, he said, and away we went over the deck. When we reached the stairs, all was dark and quiet below. It was a matter of hesitancy as to going down. I started to go down first, but the boarder held me back. Let me go down, he said. No, said I. My wife is there. That's the very reason you should not go, he said. She is safe enough yet, and they would fire only at a man. It would be a bad job for her if you were killed. I'll go down. So he went down, slowly and cautiously, his pistol in one hand, and his life in the other, as it were. When he reached the bottom of the steps, I changed my mind. I could not remain above while the burglar and Euphemia were below, so I followed. The boarder was standing in the middle of the dining room, into which the stairs led. I could not see him, but I put my hand against him as I was feeling my way across the floor. I whispered to him, Shall we put our backs together and revolve and fire? No, he whispered back, not now. He may be on a shelf by this time or under a table. Let's look him up. I confess that I was not very anxious to look him up, but I followed the boarder as he slowly made his way toward the kitchen door. As we opened the door we instinctively stopped. The window was open, and by the light of the moon that shone in we saw the rascal standing on a chair, leaning out of the window, evidently just ready to escape. Fortunately we were unheard. "'Let's pull him in,' whispered the boarder. "'No,' I whispered in reply. "'We don't want him in. Let's hoist him out.' "'All right,' returned the boarder. We laid our pistols on the floor, and softly approached the window. Being barefooted, our steps were noiseless. "'Hoist when I count three, breathed the boarder into my ear. We reached the chair. Each of us took hold of two of its legs. "'One, two, three, said the boarder, and together we gave a tremendous lift and shot the wretch out of the window. The tide was high, and there was a good deal of water around the boat. We heard a rousing splash outside. Now there was no need of silence. "'Shall we run on deck and shoot him as he swims?' I cried. "'No,' said the boarder. "'We'll get the boat-hook and jab him if he tries to climb up.' We rushed on deck. I seized the boat-hook and looked over the side, but I saw no one. "'He's gone to the bottom!' I exclaimed. "'He didn't go very far, then,' said the boarder, "'for it's not more than two feet deep there.' Just then our attention was attracted by a voice from the shore. "'Will you please let down the gangplank?' We looked ashore, and there stood Pomona, dripping from every pore." End of section 7